live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. And don't look now, but a liver is playing really well. He's got the lead. Uh-oh. Brooks Kepka. 11 under through 14. He's got a four-stroke lead. Pretty juicy. Four under for the day. Four-shot lead. Still on the course. I mean, needless to say, it would be pretty amazing for Live Golf to get a green jacket. Game-changing. I mean, essentially pretty horrible for everybody else, but that would be the best thing possible for Live. A rogue rebel tour trying to establish legitimacy. And there is literally no symbol of legitimacy in that sport like the green jacket. I mean, that'd be a pretty fascinating moment for golf. Just whatever you do, don't bring any of that around Sergio Garcia. Do not ask the 2017 Masters champ, who is now a liver. I mean, this guy certainly should have a unique perspective, right? But rather than say anything interesting or productive, Sergio would rather pull a Sergio and whine and cry like a little baby. Listen for yourself. Here's how this went down yesterday when somebody tried to ask him this incredibly hard-hitting, slanted, gotcha question. Question being, hey, Serge, how does it feel to be back at the Masters? How normal did it feel coming back here and playing and just concentrating on your game? Totally normal. You guys need to stop it. I mean, you guys are making a big deal out of this, and it's you guys. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I mean, I've had no, it's not. But great no, it's not. Every single player that I've talked to. So just please stop it and just talk about the Masters. Please stop it. No, you stop it. Yes, it is. No, you stop it, yes, Serge. I mean, come on. No, it's not. No, it's not. Sensitive much? Sensitive much, dude? The question didn't even reference or mention live. Look, I know you're feeling insecure about that soulless cash grab, but maybe don't completely ignore and disregard the obvious conflict that you say does not exist when it obviously does, and then don't try to blame the media for it. The media is not shooting all these lawsuits back and forth, dope. Stop acting like the media manufactured this beef or even worse, that there is no beef at all. Yes, it is. Then again, no, it's not. Then again, yes, it if is. And, no, it's not. Stop yes, arguing it with me, dude. Then it's again, just talk about the masters. No, you look. I'll talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about. All right. Don't tell me what to talk about. Knock it off. Listen, if anybody was going to show up to try to pull some crap like this, there's no doubt it was going to be Sergio. Listen, dude, you made your bed, so go ahead and lie in it. And while you're doing that, stop lying to the rest of us. Because when you lie like that, you're obviously really just telling on yourself. I mean, you'd think that these dudes would be a lot more secure, considering the fact that they're all drowning in paper now. Isn't that what they all wanted? Isn't that what you all wanted? Isn't that the point of this whole thing anyway? 
It's not the media, Sergio. The media did not split off and form a rogue rebel golf league and then start attacking the PGA Tour. The media, no, no. The media did not make the PGAers hate the defectors. The PGAers hate the Ella or the livers on their own. I didn't make that up. Yes, it is. No, it's not. That is a real thing. Just like I did not proclaim on the course last year that I, quote, can't wait to leave this tour. End of quote. Can't wait to leave this tour. Oh, can't wait to get out of here, my friend. A couple more weeks, and I'll have to deal with you anymore. Does that voice sound familiar? You know why it sounds familiar? Because that's you, Serge. Last I checked, the Masters is an event on the PGA Tour. It's not a live tour event. But good to know that you sound just as whiny and cringy when you're whining on the course as when you're whining to the media about the media. You couldn't wait to leave the tour. And then we couldn't wait to see you leave the tour. So it was actually perfect. Please stop Which is why it's the Masters. Which is why it's kind of annoying. Stop interrupting me, dude. Which is why it's kind of annoying that anybody has to deal with your bullcrap this weekend. I mean, my dude, you were literally standing there answering that question, wearing a polo with a logo of a sun with sunglasses on it, which I'm assuming is the logo of your live team. I wouldn't know. Most people don't because most people aren't watching it. But there you were promoting that on the course at Augusta. But nobody's allowed to ask you about it. You're wearing it. But we're not allowed to ask you about it. Oh, all right, dude. Please stop it and just talk about the Masters. How about this? How about you stop it and you just play your crappy golf and you spare us your lectures? Listen, you, you did what you did. You made a cringy cash grab. Fine. I accept that. You made your decision. But now you're all defensive and whiny about it and blaming us for it. You're allowed to make that choice. Your life. Just don't lecture us on what narratives we allegedly invented and about a conflict that does not exist in your mind when it actually does. It really does. There are lawsuits to prove it. It's an actual thing. It's an actual conflict. Because by handling yourself the way you are right now, It somehow makes you sound like a bigger Delta Bravo than we already know you are, which is pretty much the biggest Delta Bravo ever. Man, it would be amazing if Sergio just pulled a Phil and just stopped talking altogether. Although Freaky Phil, come to Phil, and his brand new freaky ghost face did finally speak to reporters yesterday, and he answered a very important question. A reporter said, quote, you look significantly skinnier than you once did. How were you able to do it? The artist formerly known as Hefty said, quote, Thank you. I stopped eating food. That was a big help. End of quote. Right, dude, it looks like it. It looks like you stopped eating six months ago and then never started back. I mean, I want to laugh, but it's not that funny. He says he lost 25 pounds. It honestly looks like a buck 25. Like, dude. Again, are they not letting you eat? Once again, blink twice if you need help. Blink twice if you need to be saved. I mean, I can't get over the state of this guy. Well, the state of his face, the state of his career, the state of his reputation, 
the state of his legacy, the state of his adoring fan base. It's like it all faded away all at once. It's all shriveling up at the same time. His face, his rep, the public adoration, his face. I mean, I, and he did it to himself. This dude seemingly was set up forever. He would have been beloved by fans and advertisers forever. And he threw it all away. And why exactly? I don't know. Were his financial problems that serious? Or is he just that greedy? Or is it both? As always, yes. Something crazy happened too in his round. And yet nobody saw it or cared. Dude had this brutal lie next to a tree. So he turned around, hit the shot right-handed with his club face inverted and pointing back towards him. I mean, it was pretty incredible, except very much on brand. Like, that guy does things like that, even at this advanced part of his career. Yet nobody was even there to see it. It wasn't even shown on TV. Basically, nobody said a thing about it. A couple of years back, if that guy does that thing, it's viral, and that's all anybody's talking about. Craziest shot of the day. One of those on-brand film moments that everybody would have eaten up like 10 minutes ago. Totally on-brand. A Phil the Thrill shot. Some lefty magic, except he did it righty. And on-brand, but the brand is dead. Nobody cares about the brand anymore. Because he sold that brand along with his soul, and now there's just a hollowed-out ghost man left. Once again, dude, I'm begging. I'm begging. Mix in a sando. Dude, go crazy. Grab an entire burger. I bet you could buy up the entire master's concession menu and just go to town. I mean, I don't know exactly what's going on with your finances or your nutrition, but I can tell from here you can afford and actually need a pimento cheese sandwich or two. So he lost some fans. And then he got the cat, right? The cat's like four shots into his first round and already looking for a park bench. Yet everybody still loves him. Everybody loves the cat. Today might be the last chance to see Catmate. I'm not saying necessarily because he's going to do whatever he can to get out there. But as far as Augusta goes, maybe, maybe, because he's got some work to do if he's going to make his 23rd consecutive Masters cut after that opening round 74 yesterday. And if you're wondering how the pain in that reconstructed leg was, he answered that after the round in a single word. Like, yep. Are there shots where the pain is, is more focused, or is it just something constant? It's constant. In other words, does it come and go? No, it's constant. It's, it's private. Constant. It's constant. It's private. It's constant. It's constant. It's constant. private. It's constant. I hear you, cat. When you say it's constant, I hear you, cat. That's the, actually, that's the one thing that you and I can connect on. One thing you and I do see eye to eye on, one thing you and I are on the same page with or on, one thing you and I have in common. Believe it or not, you and I do have something in common. It's constant. It's constant. Your pain is constant, just like my frustration with the people that email and tweet and call this show. It's constant. It's constant. You know, like my frustration with big heads, butchery, and murdering of the English language. It's constant. It's constant. Alvy's insatiable libido. It's constant. It's constant. I feel you. I feel you, cat. It's constant. It's constant. I'll have Rex Hoggard 
and he will join us at 40 past. He'll give us an update. The weather obviously is very much a thing, a big thing right now. But you've got a member of the Live Tour running away. Yes, Maybe not is. running away and hiding, but Brooks Kepka looks good. Now he's at 12 under. This dude's feeling it. He's on one. And so is the tour. They need it, even if Sergio insists that they don't. That it's just people like me and other members of the media who are making this into something it's not. Yes, it is. And no, it's not, dude. Yes, it is. No, it's not, dude. Yes, it is. Listen, if that's what you want to do, and you want the money, and you made that decision, fine. But don't come back here and think no one's going to ask you about it. And most of all, do not act as if it's not a thing and it's not a conflict between the two. Because it is, and you know it is. Please stop it and just talk about the Masters. That, that, that is so rich, this dude telling the media how to do its job and what it can and can't talk about. How about this, Serge? Why don't you submit a list of questions that you pre-approve? And then we'll just ask you those. Just talk about the Masters? Easy, Randy Johnson. Don't talk back to me. Get out of my face. Don't ask me about the Live Tour. Dude, don't you're wearing it on your don't shirt. Don't talk back to me, all right? Yes, it you're is. You're wearing we'll the logo on your shirt, but we can't talk to you about that. Come on, man. Guys, keep yourself tight and feeling confident with new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant, reformulated with 72-hour sweat and odor protection and one-quarter moisturizing cream. Stop worrying about your underarms so you can be present for the moments that matter. Do not let underarm insecurities keep you at arm's distance from the ones you care about. Buy new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant with 72-hour sweat and odor protection wherever personal care products are sold. Rex Hoggard is my guest. Rex, good to have you back. How are you? A tradition unlike. Thanks for having me back on. That's it. Always good to have you on. So, Rex, let's start with Brooks Kepka. Of course, he's your first-round leader. He is 12-under through 16. He's got a four-shot lead. How does he look to you right now? And then what were your expectations for him coming into this week? He looks healthy, and I think that's really just the bottom line. We know he can be a major monster. I mean, we've seen what he's done in major championships. He's got another gear, uh, but to go back to earlier in the week, and we talked a lot about this on Live From and on our podcast, that it was almost impossible to handicap the, the field simply because you didn't know how the live golfers were showing up. We don't have the normal sort of metrics that we can measure golfers. We didn't have shot length. They're not playing in tour events. The, the stats that we do have are pretty limited from live events. So it was a huge mystery. I think there is something to be said for the idea, though, and I talked to Brooks' dad about this yesterday, that from his last event last year until his first event this year, because now he's playing a live schedule, he had three and a half months. So you can make a really good argument that for the first time, probably in a couple of years, he's 100% healthy. And this is what I think we get when he's 100% healthy. You're really interesting. I was going to say, Rex, not that we know you're not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. We're not privy to the information. But he does look great. He appears to be healthy, at least from an eyeball standpoint. Can you, like, can you see him wiring that field? start to finish is he healthy enough to do that if you had to guess i think so simply because of the distance he's able to put and he's played well here before he hasn't won this major but he certainly has played well he finished tied for second back in 2019 but again this is that major gear that made him so feared at all the other major championships that has returned i, I do think it's a fascinating story for anyone who wants the netflix special that he was in that the he made the argument that he joined Netflix for no other reason than because of the injuries. He felt like he was washed and he had to move on. 
that was fascinating to me. Here's an athlete in his mid-30s who was walking away, and now suddenly, less than a year later, he has turned it around. I, I think mentally, he is refreshed, he's healthy, and certainly physically, he's healthy. I think that's really interesting. Rex Hargard is joining us. So, Rex, what would a win like that, should he pull it off, what would a win like that mean to the fledgling competing tour? I think it would be good for golf. And, again, we talked about this earlier in the week. And, clearly, it's, it's going to be bad for the PGA Tour. Like, I know. I, can, I know how this is going to play out. However, if you look at the golf fans, I think they're going to enjoy this. If he goes on and, and has a great week and, and does what sort of those major championship players, which he is, does, I think everyone's going to enjoy it. And, but more than anything, it's going to be good for live golf. I mean, obviously, they can now sort of hang their hat on the idea that, yes, we still have the best players in the world because there had been a narrative that it wasn't a real competition or it was just 54 holes. Beyond that, though, I would say that it's good for the major championships because going forward, unless we come up with some sort of resolution that both sides of this debate can coexist in some sort of harmony, the four majors are going to be the only time when we get these players together. So you've taken the four biggest events and only made them bigger. And then, Rex, explain what you mean by and why that would be bad for the PGA Tour. Well, I think the argument, it will be, well, the best players are now playing on lip golf, and that's short-sighted, and I don't think there's any accuracy to that whatsoever, and this, it would be a knee-jerk reaction. I think you could still argue that Scotty Scheffler is still the world number one. John Rahm is still right behind him at number two. Rory McIlroy is playing amazingly well. Those three players alone sort of make up the core of the PGA Tour, and then everything else after them. However... I would argue that, and again, this goes back to the idea it was difficult to handicap this field because we didn't know what we were going to get from the little players. I did make the argument that, look, Kim Smith is still a top five player in the world, even though he has fallen outside the top five. Dustin Johnson is still a top ten player in the world. Bruce Kepka is clearly still a top ten player in the world. Hmm. Rex Hogger joining us. Rex, ultimately, what did you make of the normally loquacious Phil Mickelson having literally nothing to say at the Champions Dinner prior to the start of the tournament? What did you make of that whole scene? He didn't have much to say to the media either. So right. I, I don't know. I, I would be surprised. Uh, it was kind of sad, if I'm being honest with you. Because, look, this is sort of what made his career special. He's accomplished a lot of different things in his career, career and won other major championships. But this one is the one that defined him. And when he showed up here, and we've talked about this before, you and I, that there was just something different about him. There was a lightness to him, and that's gone. I mean, you saw it earlier in the week. You saw how it kind of kept to himself. And it feels like almost that the game's been robbed of what made this place so special because he was such a big part of it. You know, so ultimately, that said, I, I do not disagree with any of that. And you and I have talked about him in the past and him being at that place in the past. Knowing that and hearing what you just said, ultimately, why did he make that jump to the Live Tour, if you had to guess? Money. Right. I mean, he probably would never say it. But, I mean, Harold Warner did a great job earlier this week. He's done it before. I mean, he's one of the few guys who joined Live Golf that is willing to go out in the public and say, yes, I, I did it because of money. And it was a lot of money. And in Phil's particular case, He's 50-something years old, and he was probably at his most marketable at that moment in time, and it has to be about money. Talking to Rex Hoggard, I do not disagree with you. So a rough first day, Rex, for Tiger Woods. He shot that opening round 74. Now, per usual, the surprise is not that he struggled, but rather that he's there at all, given what he's been through physically the last couple of years. What were your biggest takeaways from his opening round? For those who played, and, and Fred uh, Couples and Roy McIlroy played a practice round with him early in the week, and both of them said the same thing, that the swing is still just a work of art. I mean, it's just so much fun to sit and watch him swing the golf club. It's still powerful and precise, and he still has the short game. It's getting from point A to point B that's difficult. We saw it, anyone who watched that round yesterday, saw him wince, 
saw him sort of limp out of a bunker, saw him struggle when he had a weird lie, a weird downhill lie, and he kind of had to step into it. You could see the pain on his face. The part that gets me is his career is so tied to this place. And I think in his mind, rightfully so, because he's done so many amazing things here. You know, he set the tone in 97 when he wins by 12, and then he sort of capped it in 2019 when everyone thought, oh, he's never going to win another one, and he did it. So in his mind, he's always going to show up here thinking that, yes, I can do it at this place. The problem with that is this is the toughest walk in all of golf, certainly major championship golf. And he's asking something from his body that I just don't know if it can deliver anymore. So what about that? I mean, time will tell, but at 47, and, and given what he's dealing with, do you feel like this might be his last Masters, or do you think that he's got another one or two in him? I think he still plays some more, and, and only because it's the Masters. It's interesting talking with people in his circle. Last year was all about getting his body ready for the Open Championship. It was going to be at St. Andrews. It's a flat walk. If he gets a good side of the draw, he understands that course. Like That, in their mind, made the most sense. Like This is where your body will be ready. It was kind of a last-minute decision to play last year's Masters, and I think that sort of shows you where his mind is at. He can say way back in you know, December that, okay, I'm getting ready for X, Y, and Z and not the Masters. But as you get closer to April, I think he's always going to gravitate to this place. Rex Hogger joining us for a few more moments. He's busy there at the Masters. So, Rex, who else are you tracking heading into the weekend that you think has a legitimate look at this thing? I mean, John Rome is phenomenal. Four putts the first hole. And forget about the fact that he's like <laughs> right? nine under the rest of the way. He four putted the first hole and didn't snap the putter over his knee. You and I play go. We know how aggravating that must have been for a player of that caliber. I think that shows you where his head is at. Depending on the weather, and like it's going to be a tough weather day the next couple of days. And so it could be difficult for John. But even with Brooks at 12 under right now, I wouldn't put John Rom out of the mix. And Jason Day is the other one. I mean, keep in mind, I mean, this was a guy who won majors, number one in the world, but he was 112th to start the year in the world ranking. He has made an amazing rebound. Rex, I'm glad you brought the weather. Before you go, tee times for the second round were moved up by half hour because of bad weather in the forecast. How do you think that cold and wet condition is going to impact who wins the green jacket ultimately? Rory talked about this yesterday, and I thought it was fascinating because he says if you're chasing, which it looks like right now with Brooks kind of running away from the pack, that a lot of guys are going to be chasing. But you want the golf course as difficult as possible. Rory's point was if it's easy, it's easy for everyone. So I think it's actually going to help those behind Brooks Kepka right now because it'll give them something to play for. If you shoot a 66 in really, really difficult conditions, you make up a lot of ground. So how does Rory look to you, and what were your expectations for him coming in? I, I picked him to win, and, and I'm disappointed again. I mean, I'm sure I'm not disappointed as much as him. I, I guess the part that stands out is that first round, the first two rounds, but specifically the first round, continues to be a hurdle. And physically, the game is there. He's driving it as well as he has in a really long time. He's putting it well. If you can't get it done in the first round, that's all mental. I mean, I, I'm not reading too much into this. I mean, that's just a mental hurdle of what this event means to him. And he knows if he wins this, he, he joins the most exclusive club in all golf. He wins the career Grand Slam. And for him to go out and struggle yesterday was really surprising to me. Mm, interesting. One last thought. It's another issue around the sport right now, Rex, but there's been a whole lot of talk about the golf ball itself. What are the proposed rule changes that would make it more difficult for pros to continue to murder and bludgeon courses with their power? It's a really good debate, and it kind of reached, uh, I don't want to say ahead, but it did kind of come up this week because of what Augusta's done to the 13th hole. Anyone who's watched this tournament who probably feels like they've played that hole 100 times in their head, it's such an iconic piece of property. It's such, we've seen so many great shots there. They moved that tee back 35 yards, and essentially 
what they've done is create a three-shot hole. It's a par five. And I think a lot of arguments were, well, you've kind of taken what made that hole so special out of the equation. The counter-argument is they had to because of the distance that the modern players are hitting the golf ball. The proposal is to dial back the ball that the, the ball that elite players use, so PGA Tour players use, by about 10%. So your average tour player is going to hit you know, about 15 yards shorter. That doesn't seem huge. And I think, by and large, we're going to end up with a scenario that the game does embrace this at the highest levels. But I think it's still an ongoing debate. He just covered everything. He is a Golf Channel reporter. He's a senior writer for GolfChannel.com. Excellent podcaster as well. Rex number seven from the Rex Street back in the day. Rex, I know you're at work. I know you're busy. Really appreciate you always making time for the show. Thanks so much. Great job. Always. I love this, man. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? It is time for another edition of Big Head Bets. With the big head himself, James Kelly. Again, a huge sports weekend. Lots of things to hit on. Plenty of different ways to get down. So, the flight deck is here to do what he does best. Get you paid and murder the English language. What's cracking head? Man, nothing. Still laughing at that Mavs tweet you just uh, read there, Jim. That meant we have no shot in the playoffs and we want to keep our 10th pick for those people who do not know. Isn't that amazing? How no, funny is that? Amazing. I mean, it's, it's, at least at least they're being pretty upfront about it. Like, let's make sure we protect that protected pick. It's amazing, dude. And it's probably smart, too, because they have zero shots. So what the hell? No doubt. No mm-hmm. doubt. Hey, Kyrie, nice job. All right, so, okay, before, I kind of like that, Head. I like you going off the, uh, off the board. Is there anything else that you find amusing that you would like to get into before we get into your picks? Uh, the NBA regular season is amusing to me, and I'm glad it's done this week. I'm excited for the playoffs next week. Maybe we can make some money there, but it's staying away from the NBA this weekend for sure. Dude, you hate the association regular season. I know hate's a strong word, and mm-hmm. I'm trying to keep things positive, and I never, ever want to complain about anything, mm-hmm. but you complain about that every single day. You you hate the regular season. I hate it. And to be fair, I complain about everything. So I'm the opposite as you. So, yes, I hate the regular okay, that's season. Fair. That's yeah. fair. You're not singling them out. You complain about everything. Oh, everything. Everything. (laughs) Way to own it, Head. I like it. All right, so you've done really well the last couple of years in picking the winner of golf's majors on a Friday heading into the weekend. But I know you just heard Rex Hoggerty makes a great point. It's never been tougher to handicap the Masters Mm -hmm. than it is right now because of the Live Tour. So what do you see and who do you like? Take your time. Lay it out. 
I, I see Brooks, as we all see, locked in and looking like major winning Brooks Kepka right here. What an absolute ratings win for this thing, dude. Can the PGA's best catch the liver? And I, I don't know if they can. And not only the liver, Brooks, too, a red-ass liver who is unapologetic and could care less what people think. So it's going to be an awesome, awesome weekend. If you want Brooks, Jim, he is now the plus 165 favorite, meaning you can't take anyone else and you have to ride with him whether he's three shots up right now uh, or you want to take some people in the field. I'm going to take a shot. I'm going to take a couple shots here to try to run down Brooks here. I'm going to go John Rahm. I loved him going into the tournament. He had a great first day. He's about ready to tee off here shortly. You can get him at plus 360 right now. Ooh, dude, how smart do I feel? I hit him at plus 1,000 before ah, the event. Great, great Finally, hit. I got over yes. on you on something. Maybe, maybe. In, unless Brooks screws it up. Right, yeah. He's got to come back, though. But I, but I love it. I love three of the big dogs before it started. Him, Rory, and Scheffler. But Rom's a guy for me today. I love that hit from you. Plus 360. I'm going to go Jason Day. Five top tens in his past six tournaments. He looks fantastic right here. He's currently in second. You can get him at plus 450. Hmm. And for a shot, I'm going to go Sam Burns. He doesn't get a lot of love, but he has a few top ten finishes late, uh, this season, and he won the World Golf Championship match play, and you can get him at plus 2,500. These guys got to be close to Brooks right now to have a shot, so I'm going to go with those three guys to maybe try to run this guy down. I think that's interesting. Where is Scotty Scheffler right now? What can you get him for? Let me see here. I got him right here. Scheffler, he's falling down a little bit. Oh, he's falling down. Quite Run his ass down. I'm going to have to find it. That's a good point. I'm scrolling. He's... Okay, plus 2,200 is what I got. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't feel so good about that. I got him plus 750 before the okay. event started. I okay. thought I was pretty smart. All right, so you are trying to beat Brooks. Brooks is going to have to come back to the pack. It doesn't look like he will right now, but anything can happen, especially with the weather changing. All right, so let's talk UFC 287 mm -hmm. yes. in Miami. Looks like an excellent card, mm -hmm. especially the main fight. Izzy's going. Nice, nice fight. What's the number? How you playing that one? Yeah, fun card, fun fights, and game bread uh, taking on Gilbert Burns is right. also a fun fight right before the title fight, so that's that's fantastic there. But the title fight you're talking about, the big one, I'm going to go with the former champion Israel Adesanya at minus 130. Fourth time here is a charm gym against uh, Alex Pereira. Um, for those who do not know, Izzy has lost to him three times now. Twice in glory kickboxing and last November in the UFC uh, to take his belt. He also was iced by him twice, so knocked the hell out. But I'm still going with Izzy here because of the majority of these fights, he's been the better fighter. He just has not, he's gotten caught twice out of these head, times. Head, so. head, head. Did you mm -hmm. just say that Izzy has lost to him three times? Three times. Okay, okay two thoughts. Number mm -hmm. one, can you imagine Izzy losing to anybody three times? And then secondarily, Izzy has lost to him three times and he's favored. Nine. He's favored, too. Yeah, and how he's lost, too, Jim, is wild, too. Izzy is lost in what Izzy does best, and that's striking, and this guy keeps catching him. So that's even wilder, too, and the fact that he's he's favored, but, but they've watched, and they see that he has been winning the majority of these fights with this guy. It's just this guy's power is heavyweight-type stuff. They fight at 185 pounds, but Alex is probably going to be in that freaking octagon at 220, 230. I think he walks around normally at 240. So this guy is cutting massive amount of weight, and he's got power, and he keeps standing in front of him a couple times during these things, and he's getting caught by him. Dude, so what do, you, what do you think that guy does? If he literally, that's an amazing point you make, that he could walk around at 220, or do you think he's going to go into the cage at 220? 
I think he's going to go into the cage at 220 after he's rehydrated. I think he walks around at probably 240. So he cuts I, I'd love all to know, that dude, weight. The weight cuts are just so unbelievable oh, and so dangerous and so gnarly. What do you think this guy does post-weigh-in to get to 220? Insanity. Steam room, no eating for days. No, no. I mean, what's he do after he can start to hydrate and eat? What does oh, he after, eat? After, oh, after, after. And then what oh, does he know. hydrate with, man? Everything in sight. Everything in sight. They can't do the IV thing anymore, but just uh, liquids, water, just pouring into you like no other. All right, so you're going to take Izzy. I'm going to take Izzy, but I'm going to say he's going to grapple here, Jim. He's, he took one guy down in his life, and it was Alex last time. He's never, ever grappled with anybody ever, but he did last fight, and he had success here. So I'm going to say he's going to use his brain. He's a smart guy. He's going to take this guy down, and he's going to win it that way and not stand directly in front of him. So I'm going to go Izzy minus 130. God, I, I, I didn't even play the angle. I, just, I can't imagine somebody the quality of Izzy losing to somebody four times in a lifetime, but... We'll see how that plays. Really in the stand-up. Right, yes. right, in the stand-up. Yes. Yeah. So what about you mentioned Gamebred, Jorge mm-hmm. Masvidal. We do love him. We love mm-hmm. him as a guy. We love him as a fighter. He's in Miami now. Mm-hmm. I don't know anybody more proud than Gamebred, especially fighting at home, but he's a big, big dog against Gilbert Burns, and he's talking a big, big game, and that's why we love Jorge. Can you make any argument for him winning that fight? Yeah, because that's how he does it, right? Most of these big fights that he's always in, he's eight of ten times this guy loses. But somehow, some way, he catches somebody with a knee like Askren, or he knocks somebody out with one shot. So, the money is terrible. I think it's minus four fifty for Gilbert and wow. plus three sixty for Jorge. So, yeah, he could do it. I mean, I wouldn't bet it, but, I mean, that's how this guy wins. That's how he's got a following. That's uh, what he is, right? I, I love Exactly. I love the guy, and I'm not going to bet him, but you know I want to watch him. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, definitely want to see him. And, and Jim, that crowd will be absolutely oh, yes. nuts. They love him. Pro Jorge. Absolutely. No doubt. All right, absolutely. so why don't we talk? It's the big head, James Kelly, big head bets. Let's jump into some MLB futures. Why don't okay. you give me a pick from the American League and the National League? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I love it. Fun to follow for the long-ass season of baseball. NL, you can get the Atlanta Braves as a second choice in some books at plus 750. I'll take them. I'll hit it. Fangraphs had them projected to be the first in uh, all of baseball and runs per game entering the season. They have one of the best rotations in baseball with young depth. They also have Spencer Strider and his fabulous mustache. If he stays healthy he's an alpha in October also their bullpen is really really good so I love them in the AL I'll take a little shot here in the Toronto Blue Jays at plus 1400 Mm. yeah love their two studs atop the rotation Alec Manoa and Kevin Gossman they're great also the lineup fan graphs have them had them I'm sorry at the beginning of the season at projected as their best uh team in AL run projection. So right now, they're currently second in baseball and batting average, so they're great there. They also added two lefty bats this offseason I loved and some under-the-radar moves in Dalton Varsho and Brandon Belt. Belt's been complete ass right now, but hopefully he comes around right there. The questions are, is their remaining rotation and their bullpen uh, good enough to get it done? But I'm not sure. And for a long shot, Jim, let's go with the Chicago White Sox. You can get them at 50-1 to odds just for a little fun here. I like their rotation, and it has some potential to be really, really good. Dylan Cease, he's an ace at the top of it. He is unbelievable. Their bullpen has top 10 potential, especially if Liam can get back. Their offense is a question. They had the second most hits in baseball a year ago. They have the most hits right now with the Jays. It's just their power is complete ass, but... That booze hound, LaSlura, is gone, so they should be way better for that alone. La-slura. So let's go. LaSlura. Are you happy with yourself La-Rusa? over that one? I'm sorry. I should not be. 
the Suara. That guy's no longer in the dugout, so I, I figured that's probably pretty good. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, that guh, right, that guy. Yeah, no, I knew who you were talking about, Ned. Oh. I, I didn't need clarification. I knew who you meant by quote La Slora. He said Continue. That's all. I got him. Oh, Braves, is that Blue all? Jays, and White Sox. Oh, is that Sox. all? Yep. Oh, is that, that was all? My last shot. I yep. asked you for a couple mm-hmm. of quick future bets in baseball and you went on for like eight minutes. Is that I all? No, I love baseball. No, you don't. Yeah, I do. do you? I like baseball. Yeah, for real? I like baseball a lot. I've been betting a lot of baseball this year, I actually. You know Having what? success. Well, then I know why you love baseball. Really quickly, you mentioned the White Sox 50 to 1. Mm-hmm. What is the longest odd bet you've ever won in your life? I think probably 50 to 1 on Tampa Bay Future for Bacon Face 45. I got uh, an 11,000 last night. I hit for a Joaquin Keeman for the Masters, 11,500. But Brooks threw that out the window. So, uh,. Yeah, no, Dude, probably I, 50 to I, one. I had Tom Kim at 12,500. Man, you Dude. and I would have gone back to Vegas if that thing hit. Dude, I might not show up on Fridays if mine hits. You might not show up on Friday anyway, dude. Tell me something I don't already know. All right, so run it back for me. Nice job with that. Run it back, top to bottom. Who are you looking at this weekend for everything but do it fast? Not like All right, that baseball Matt. hit. All right, the master, the Masters, Rom plus three sixty, Day plus four fifty, Sam Burns plus twenty five hundred, UFC two eighty seven, Izzy minus one thirty, MLB futures, Braves plus seven fifty, Blue Jays plus fourteen hundred, and the White Sox at fifty to one. So, Ed, who not named Trolla B can find you on Twitter and where? Everybody could find me on Twitter at Big Head Bets. At so, Big Head Bets. All at right. Big Head Bets. Dude, great job. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks Jim. so much. Appreciate it. was a blast. It. Discover Big credit cards do something Kelly. pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though. See terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. Jesse Metcalf is my guest. Jesse, it's good to have you on. How are you? I'm great, Jim. Thanks for having me. Really good to have you. So, dude, before we talk about the release of the new show, let's talk a little sports. You grew up in Connecticut, which pretty much splits right down the middle in terms of whether or not you end up as a Red Sox fan or a Yankee fan. Which side did you land on? I'm a Yankees fan. All right, so you're a Yankees fan. Growing up, who was your guy? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Donnie baseball was my guy and I got a lot of flack for being a Yankees fan because believe it or not I think Connecticut's more Red Sox fans right so what was that like explain that to me I'm a California guy like I kind of get it geographically speaking but what was it like to grow up there as a Yankee fan what kind of grief did you get how bad uh, it, it was it was pretty bad I mean you know it was a lot of physical abuse actually <laughs> dude, uh, it, dude, we had a lot it, of fun it with got, it in my it friend got physical group. Oh, yeah. So everything got physical. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we had a lot of fun with it in my friend group, uh, you know, driving up to games, a uh, lot of lot of hazing in the car ride up to uh, up to Fenway or Yankee Stadium. But uh, yeah, it was all in good fun. I mean, it seemed like sports was always at the epicenter of my childhood. I like that. Jesse Metcalf joining us. So what about basketball? You're an NBA guy as well. Who's your team in the NBA? I'm a Knicks fan, man. All right, so there's a lot to like about them right now. When you look at that yeah. team, do you feel like, hey, man, that's nice. It feels good. We're on the right track. Or does that feel like a team that could get into the postseason and do some damage? 
Well, they're in the postseason. Um, I don't know about doing some damage, but maybe we can get past the Cavs. Who knows? Jesse Metcalf joining us. That'd be nice. Be a good start. Hey, let me ask you something. So, like, I go back to the 80s. I was all about everything that John Hughes was doing back at that time. I remember the Breakfast Club specifically was groundbreaking. In fact, Jesse, give me a second. This is kind of weird to me. I think about this. Back in the day, whenever I would take a vacation, I would have a celebrity or an athlete actually host this show. I asked Judd Nelson to do it. And he said yes, and even more weirdly, he returned the favor by interviewing me on NBC's Later. Like, it all seems so weird and surreal to me right now. What do you remember about The Breakfast Club back in the day, and how much of an impact did that movie have on you when you were younger? Are you kidding me? I mean, I'm a huge Judd Nelson fan. Uh, The Breakfast Club was the first movie that I thought about critically um, you know, from an acting kind of uh, storytelling perspective. And it was really the first movie that, you know, piqued my interest about possibly being part of the entertainment industry. I saw that movie in the theaters uh, when it came out. So I, w- I was pretty young. I was probably like six years old seeing that movie in the theaters with my dad. And it had a very profound effect on me. That's amazing. I love everything John Hughes did. That's amazing. So when you saw that movie, you thought, hey, this is something I might want to do. What about the other movies within the genre? Did any, like Hughes, like I said, I I'm was like you. I'm older than you. So I can remember going to the theater and seeing all those movies when they dropped. Did any of the others compare to The Breakfast Club or was that pretty much the bar, the standard? That 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 was that was the top for me, you know, uh, John Hughes wise. But I mean, I also liked uh, some kind of wonderful. I thought that movie was uh, was pretty cool. Uh, You know, 16 Candles. I mean, uh, John, John was very prolific. I I, I actually wish uh, some of our, you know, teen comedies were as good as those movies, Uh, because I don't I I think they they lack the heart and. the heart that those movies had. I agree. Like, I don't want to be that old head, but man, that was a good time. That was a good genre, and the writing was brilliant. So, dude, you have yeah. lots of other interests. You've got a vintage car collection. When and how did you first get hooked on vintage <laughs> rigs? Uh, I probably uh, from my stepfather and my my stepfather's family uh, when I was very young. Uh, my my stepfather's brother. Uh, built and renovated uh classic american muscle cars uh he had a a 66 nova that i used to drool uh over when i was like maybe 11 and so it all it all started with uh muscle cars with novas chevelles camaros uh my first classic car was a was a 67 camaro and i just kind of started collecting from there and then got into uh you know, European sports cars and stuff like that. I mean, you know, I, I, I just I, I just love anything with an engine, truthfully. Dude, for sure. Oh, I love I get it. I love it. My first car ever was a sixty seven Mustang, three speed of all things, dude. A three speed on the floor. What a piece of crap that car was, but man, I was excited to get it, or so <laughs> I thought. What before you made it, like what was your first car that you had as a kid? Well, I'll probably sound a little spoiled saying this, but um, I had I had a BMW. Uh-huh. Uh, my parents got me a, a 325i yes. BMW stick. Uh, it was a cool little car, but they they took it away from me about three months after getting my license because I got two speeding tickets. 
I, I get it. I love that car. I love that car. When I graduated <laughs> from college, I went to work for the family business, and my parents said, you can have a car. We got your younger sister a car in high school. You can have a car. And I remember Jesse, my dad, telling me, you can have – he says, I'm going to think about how much money you can have. And I pretended like it didn't matter to me when it was the most important thing in my entire life, right, my whole world. He thinks, he thinks, he thinks, and he says, you can have 20 grand. 20 grand. Now, you get your ass out there, and you research it, and you research it hard. You read consumer reports, and you come back to me, and you tell me what you want. I'm like, okay, that'll do that, knowing full well I wanted your car. Probably a 320 back then, not a 325. I come back, and I say, I want a BMW. He's like, no. No. If you're going to work for the family business, you're not going to ride in a BMW. This went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. The point of the story is I know what you're talking about. I know that car you had. I understand completely. Let me ask you about your new project, too, Wing and a Prayer. So you're going to co-star along with Dennis Quaid and Heather Graham. It drops on Prime Video today. It's based on a true story. For those who do not know, Jesse, what is the story? What's it about? Well, it's about... uh a novice pilot, uh, Doug White, who had actually, he, he'd only gone on one flying lesson uh, before he had to do an emergency landing on a pretty complicated private plane after, after the pilot dies of a heart attack. Um, and uh, my character, is real-life guy, Kerry Sorensen, happened to be an expert in this particular plane and was able to uh, talk Doug White down uh, and help him save him, himself and his family. So uh, it's a pretty uh, miraculous story because my character, Kerry Sorensen, was actually quoted as saying that he believed they had less than a 5% chance of landing the plane successfully. All right, so this is a true story. This is not one of those things that's made for TV, made for the big screen. This is actually a true story. You said it yourself. No, it's, quote, a departure for me acting-wise. How so? What do you mean by that? Well, I, I think it's more of a of a character for me. I mean, I'm moving away from, uh, you know, the matinee idol, so to speak, um, into more mature roles. Um, very thankful to our producers for offering me this one. Um, getting some, uh, you know, nice compliments on my performance. And I, I really think people are going to enjoy this film. I, I think it's going to have mass appeal. All right, so it's out right now. It's streaming right now on Prime Video. Jesse, what, what was the most challenging thing for you about playing this role? Most challenging thing was, you know, having no knowledge of aviation whatsoever and uh, having to spit out all this aviation jargon like I knew it like the back of my hand. Uh, so, you know, that took uh, that took a little research. You know, I wanted to know, you know, uh, what I was talking about. And, uh, you know, it, another challenge was also never actually acting opposite uh, Dennis Quaid or Heather Graham. Uh, we were all kind of stuck in our own separate sets and on uh, different shooting schedules. And I, I, I only met these two great actors that I'm starring opposite just last week. Uh, so I was, you know, reading a lot of these lines and emoting and trying to keep up, you know, this intensity uh, while, you know, reading with the script supervisor or the second AD. Uh, so acting in a vacuum like that can can be a little challenging. So there goes my follow about what was it like acting with those two great actors. That's really interesting. So before you go, like the story, I mean, this there is faith involved in this, right, to a certain extent. I'm curious, does a movie like this change you or move you in any sort of significant way? In other words, do you come out of this differently than you went into it, or am I reading into this? You know, I, I always come out of every part that I play uh, differently because I put a lot of 
myself into my roles, a lot of my personal experiences. You know, this character, he had a cross to bear. He lost his father and his stepfather both to plane crashes. I feel like he had a certain level of survivor's guilt. And that unresolved trauma was rearing its ugly head in his personal life. I can relate to that. I think we can all relate to that. So, uh, you know, I, I think just like he went on a healing journey in the story that we tell, uh, you know, I, I think I, I, I healed a little bit, you know, from some of my past traumas in playing this part. Huh. Jesse Metcalf joining us, actor and producer. We're talking about On a Wing and a Prayer. It is Prime Video's release. It debuts today. It's streaming right now. So leave me with this. What's next for you? What other projects do you have in the pipeline? Well, I got a couple other uh, really cool independent movies coming out this year. One's called The Latin from Manhattan, and the other is called The Comic Shop, uh, about a disgruntled alcoholic comic book store owner in Las Vegas. It's kind of a la Kevin Smith, so it should be interesting. I like it. All right, Jesse, nice job. Really good to have you on the show. Good luck with that. I'm looking forward to watching it on Prime Video. Nice to have you, man. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Jim. Appreciate it. That was fun. Appreciate you. Welcome to the party, pal. It's back in. Welcome to the jungle. My name is Jim Rome. A tremendous Monday to you. How was your weekend? How you living? What's going on? It is awesome to have you here. National Championship Day. Big showdown tonight. Lots to get to. I will not do the voice, but San Diego, show me your freaking Aztec spear. It's Butler with two seconds. He's got to put it up. Lamont Butler, welcome to College Basketball Immortality, regardless of what happens tonight. Before you run me, Alvin, I'm an 11-year brain cancer survivor. I'm currently battling stage 4 glioblastoma. Dude! had a boy. Way to go, Matt. Don't be hypocrites. I'm, I've seen much more hellified smack talk in Wee Ball. If you want to get upset over anything, it should be with Kim Mulkey making contact with the refs. How about that? Like, that's okay to do? Pat Forty, you've been around a long, long time, Pat. What do you make of this whole thing? Look, that's basketball, right? Insulting. Like, she's a baller. She can handle herself. She doesn't need people to say, you leave Caitlin Clark alone. <laughs> leave her alone. Mark Kotze is my guest. I had my teeth cleaned, which was an adventure. Always a fun time sitting in that dentist chair, right? How'd that go for you? Terrible. They wanted to do a deep cleaning. I said, no, I'm on the Romy show. Can't be talking out of the side of my mouth. So, you know, it's a big day for me. I uh, grew up listening to you. Longtime fan. Are you still doing the smack off? The smack off. At the end of this tournament, one thing was abundantly clear. Nobody is even close to UConn. We bleed blue because it's the two cons. They are, in fact, the bluest of the blue bloods. Dan Hurley. Homie, it's great to be on, man. Uh, you know, I have a big fan. I have the feeling of playing in the Final Four and winning. If anything, this is going to make us even more maniacal in our pursuit of six. Pluto! Did you just say the livers are showing up to Augusta? Well, we aren't livers. Cow in Vegas. And make you eat Randall it. in the OC. Yeah! Trapper in Dan. I'm Trapper. And you're not. And Dave the non-hunter? Make the world a better place. Left? Stop it. It's disgusting. For one of the few times in my entire career, I think I am speechless. Brandon Staley joining us. I know how strongly you feel about Austin Eckler. I think it's going to play out exactly the way it should play out. We absolutely have so much respect for this guy. He's meant so much to our franchise. We know that he can help us win a Super Bowl. Nothing compares to our major wins. Do you remember taking UCLA deep 
twice. <laughs> I do remember that day. What is it about the school and the community in Lawrence that has you wanting to lay down roots and stay a while? Great question, because we didn't come here for a cup of coffee. We came here to build this program and put it on a foundation for many years to come. I like Petty. Do you like Petty? I love Petty. I'm a black man from Detroit. I live off of Petty, Jim. It is the wind beneath my wings, okay? Water tastes great. What? I said, Cindy, it's water. Water doesn't taste at all. It's water. Bad take, yo. This is one of those, uh, no scheduling conflicts. You guys you are know, acting season. like they got a vasectomy while having diarrhea. I'm scared. I'm scared. Get up here right now. Like, we don't live that close to each are other. Are you my boyfriend or not? You get your ass up here get your ass right boss. now. What's your beef? Wore Amber in Portland with her hairy ass armpits smelling like patchouli and talking bleep about methylene. Larry, your parodies are about as worthless as nipples on a boar hog. I'm addicted to Johannes. Stop getting it twisted, dumbass. Customer called complaining about me peeing in her yard. Pick up your skid-marked underwear and throw them in the hamper, you disgusting A-wipes. The Predators, the Mickey Mouse franchise. His gangrene-ass feet and his scattered chiclet. Well played, my man. Jack Savage, who works for you, he sent me a text today like I didn't know him. I don't know if you remember me. I played for you. Hey, Jack, don't ever do that again. Just say, Jesus Christ, it's Jack Savage. Stop acting like the media manufactured this beef. Yes, it is. Then again, no, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Stop yes, arguing with me, dude. Just talk about the monsters. Don't tell me what to talk about. She just is a mess-faced kook. I'm out. That booze hound, LaSlura, is gone. So happy. Are you happy with yourself over that one? I'm sorry. You should not be. LaSlura. That guy's no longer in the dugout, so I figured that's probably pretty good. He said... But you're worried about eating old seasoning? LV, you've eaten way worse in your day. Yeah. Are you kidding me? I mean, I'm a huge Judd Nelson fan. What if your dope was on fire? Impossible, sir. Love Judd Nelson. It's in Johnson's underwear. Jeff in NoCal. Jimmy, I'm good, but my man, it's Jeff in SoCal. Tom, don't disrespect ah. Man, how, how much time do we have? Yeah, I, I don't know how many more I have in me. Yeah, let's ride. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Good Always followed you. Big fan and appreciate you having me on. Sir, what is your high school mascot? Calvass's Coyote! Thank you. Well, honor to be on with you, man. You're a legend, brother. The MVP race is over. Sam, great to be with you, man. Talk soon. Express Wouldn't you love to know? I would. Stop it. Always, I love this, man. At Big Head Bets. Or the deceased clones. Good night now! Oh, let's go to the phones quickly. John in New York. John, what's going on? Roman Rome, man. Yesterday, I was giving one of my fizzolating, sizzolating, debilitating takes, and I was cut worse than Connie Selica at a Hall of Fame induction ceremony. I don't appreciate this, Roman Rome. Being on the show is supposed to be the most important day of my life, and now I got to suspend you. I'm out. My man, rack him. I, I have never seen a reinvention of a clone quite like John in New York. Let's go to Portland. Amber, you are first up. Amber, what's going on? I just, I wanted to take an opportunity to respond to Methylene's horrific call yesterday during the beef segment. I mean, all she really wanted to do was talk about Johannes anyway. So I honestly didn't even know what he looked like. So like any normal person who can afford Wi-Fi and a cell phone, unlike Kathleen, I Googled her man crush. 
And let me tell you, first of all, woof, <laughs> gross. He looks like Marilyn Manson's dirty uncle. Actually, what he really looks like is some dude who parked his Winnebago in her trailer park and cooks meth in it Walter White style and gives methylene a teens any time for her services rendered. It really proves what I've said before to be true. She just is a meth-faced kook. I'm out. Good night now!